subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. He's got a few miles left, knock on wood. He's a three-legged dog, but he's still Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripods Blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's silly, Jerry. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is February 7th, 2018. Today's show is important for all pet owners, but especially those with tripods who want to provide the best possible diet for their dogs and cats. We know weight management is important to keep tripods fit and strong, but proper prep nutrition goes far beyond just shedding a few pounds, and we are honored to have an expert returning to tell us more. Dr. Judy Morgan is an acclaimed holistic veterinarian practicing in New Jersey who has just published her latest how-to book about home cooking for pets, titled Yin and Yang, Nutrition for Dogs, Maximizing Health with Whole Foods, Not Drugs. This book unveils the truth about commercial pet food and provides tips for preparing simple yet nutritious home-cooked or raw meals for every stage of your dog's life. Learn more about this and Dr. Morgan's previous holistic pet healing book at drjudymorgan.com. Thank you for joining us again, Dr. Morgan, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. Hi, Dr. Morgan. It's Renee here. I am so excited to talk to you again. <laughs> Hi, Renee. I'm, I'm honored to be invited back. Uh, I, I love what you guys do. I think it's so important. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I was thrilled to hear that, that you have this new book out, uh, The Yin and Yang of Home Cooked Meals for Pets and or Dogs. And um, really, I can't, I can't wait to talk to you about it because um, you – Pack so much information into your materials, and I'm hoping that in this show we can uh, dive into some of it and decipher, you know, how to get started and, and what this Chinese medicine uh, and uh, home cooking has to do with one another. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so, you, so you have this new book, and it just came out um, late last year. I, I was curious, um, what inspired you to, to publish this latest book? Um, was there a certain uh, situation behind it? Uh, well, there's all you know. There's always a backstory, but so my, I've written one book a year for four years. It just kind of has worked out that way. And the first one was the From Needles to Natural Learning Holistic Pet Healing. And with that, I just talked about all the different disease problems that can affect our pets. I talked about vaccines and and um, you know talked a little bit about food and, and you know so if you have a dog with liver problems, add these things to the diet. If you have a dog with heart problems, add these things to the diet. But I didn't give recipes, and so you know, then I was getting all these emails and questions, you know, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. How much, you know, do I cook it? Do I feed it raw? What do I do? And so the second book came out, which was called What's for Dinner, Dexter, um, Cooking for Your Dog Using Chinese Medicine Theory. And I wrote that one with a co-author and it had a bunch of different recipes and it talked about all the different properties of food, but they were all just kind of, you know, balanced meals. And we used a lot of 
supplements. So they were natural supplements, but we used a lot of supplements to balance the meals. So I was never happy with the fact that we weren't just using all whole foods to balance the meals. And I also was not happy because a lot of the recipes were not mine. And I felt that they were a little too carb heavy for how I feed my own pets. And they also were not really specific. Um, so people would say to me, okay, well, I have a dog with kidney disease. You know, do I feed, you know, the chicken pot pie? Do I feed the summer squash and pork? You know, which one of these recipes do I choose? And they weren't really made for, like, specific disease conditions. So that is what really spurred this latest book because the book in between, there was another cookbook that was a, just a really fun one and it's funny. It's called Canine Kitchen Capers and that one was just to give people a good laugh as well as some recipes. I mean, it talked about all the foibles that, and, uh, you know, funny stories that people went through cooking for their dogs and, you know, people who don't know how to cook and store sweaters in their oven and, you know, <laughs> learning how to, to boil an egg to feed your dogs. But, um, but the latest book, I, you know, it was just, I kept getting so many questions and I do so many consultations for people, both in the office and on the phone for nutrition and people calling me and saying, you know, okay, here's my dog's records. He's got this disease or this problem. I need a specific diet for this. And I was spending so much time, like in my office, I kept writing out recipes and, and, you know, tweaking things. And finally I said, you know, if I wrote all these down and put them together in a book and it was organized so that people could say, oh, my dog has liver nodules or my dog has a swollen liver or my dog has diabetes or my dog has seizures or my dog has cancer, you know, what? What, what could I look specifically, what foods would help with that condition and what are some specific recipes and make it really easy for those people that, that so I'm one of those cooks where I'm like, oh, a little of this and a little of that. And I just kind of like throw everything in the grinder and, and go to town. But there's a lot of people who are like, no, I need a specific, like how many teaspoons, how many pounds, how many ounces. Mm-hmm. And for those people, like they're frustrating to me because even when they're standing in my office, I'm like, oh, just throw a little of this and a little of that. And they, you know, <laughs> th- there are people who don't cook that way. And so they can't, they don't get me. <laughs> so I made it really specific and we did it using all whole foods and not having to use a bunch of, you know, potentially synthetic or, you know, supplements that, you know, might have different effects on the animals. So, so that's really what, it, it makes my life easier when people come in for consultations now. I'm like, okay, let's open the book to page 37. That's the recipe you need. Here you can uh, mix it up with the one on page 272 and the one on 165, and there you go. <laughs> it makes life easier. I love it. I love it. You're, you're really specific in this book, and yeah. it makes it so much easier. for. I'm, I'm one of those people who needs to know how many teaspoons and, and that kind of thing. So, so I really <laughs> That's a metal that. personality, so you can look up the section on metal personalities. You're ruled by your lung and your large intestine. So <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I did not know that about yeah, myself. Yeah, metal, metal animals and people, people that, you know, they have to follow the rules and everything has to be spelled out. You have to have all your little ducks in a row, and so you want to those exact measurements. Um, so you're going to be the people who are more prone to coming down with pneumonia or flu or, you know, respiratory infections, having asthma, that sort of thing, particularly later in life. So you can actually mm-hmm. feed your body to prevent that from happening. Oh my God. Pretty cool. You know so much about this here. Oh my gosh. You have such a long story in, in this, this area. Um, I, I'm going to back up a second because in the book, I started reading the book, and you really, really just courageously speak out against the what's in our, our pet's commercial food. And 
and you talk about, you know, the pet food industry and, and everybody out there in, in the veterinary community that discourages home cooking, I see it all the time, you know, home cooked diets are not nutritionally balanced. All right. And that sort of thing. Um, you're pretty gutsy. Um, what gave you the, the courage to start speaking out? Um, you're, you're one of the uh, veterinarians who will. Well, so the thing is, I've been going to the AFCO meetings, the, Associ- the American Association of Feed Control Officials with Susan Sexton from Truth About Pet Food for uh-huh. quite a few years. And I see the insider information and I know what waste products they are hiding in pet food. It's all, you know, waste products from the human food industry, from the restaurant industry, from the grocery store industry. And, you know, they're like, oh, we don't want to waste all this and just throw it in the landfill so we can recycle it and put it in pet food. Yeah, who cares that, you know, the food that's being fed to our cattle has ground up plastics and, uh, you know, phthalates and all kinds of horrible things that are going into the cattle, which is then coming out in the milk, and then we're all drinking that and feeding it to our children. And then, you know, what goes into the pet food is, you know, restaurant waste oil greases and, um, you know, brewing industry waste. And, you know, it's like, okay, they're spent grains. Like we took the good parts out of the food and then all the waste products that really have no nutritional value. Well, Well, hey, we'll sell them to the pet food industry. They'll actually pay us for our waste. And then, the consumer will pay the pet food company high dollar for all of those waste. Wow, what a win-win for everybody except our pets. So I have no problem speaking out because um, people, you know, and I, I get flack from consumers who say, well, I can't afford to feed, you know, this high quality processed raw diet, or I can't afford to buy all organic and cook that for my pets. I get it. Like, I understand that. And believe me, as much as I'd like to, we have eight dogs and four cats that we're feeding. And as much as I would like them to eat all top of the line organic, I would like that for our family. There are some weeks when you kind of go, oh, that's not happening this week. I mean, we actually Mm -hmm. got chickens so that we can have organic fresh eggs for our dogs. That was just, you know, kind of our way around it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I'm not growing all of our food, but I do the best I can. But what I want the consumer to understand is that when they pick up a bag or a box or a can off the shelf, they know what those ingredients are and they're making a conscious decision. They're not just believing the advertising. They're, you know, so I did a video in the grocery store. We were shopping one day and my husband said, hey, we're in the pet food aisle, which is awful because it's in the detergent aisle. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, so I have to go in that aisle and it makes me crazy. And he said, hey, let's just do a quick video. Why don't you read some of the ingredients off of these packages and talk about them? And I'm like, okay, you're trying to get us kicked out of our grocery store. We'll never ever walk in here again. It'll be fun. So, you know, we turn on the, I have my phone, we turn it on, and I start reading ingredients and pointing out things and saying, oh, look at all these fresh fruits and vegetables on the front of the package. Okay, let's find them on the label. Oh, yeah, there's that blueberry. It's way down on the list under salt and all the chemical additives. And then finally you get a blueberry and a carrot. And I'm like, really? So there's one in this 50-pound bag. That's really awesome. Great antioxidant <laughs> added to it, you know. But I just want people to be able to understand what it is that, you know, don't just believe the advertising, read the label, know what it means. Um, you know, the pet food industry, here's one of my favorites. Um, they, at one of the AFCO meetings, one of the pet food companies came in and they said, we need a new definition. And uh, so AFCO was like, okay, well, what's the definition? Well, one of the hydrolyzed protein diets for allergy dogs, IBD dogs, whatever, is hydrolyzed chicken feathers. 
And so the ingredient used to read hydrolyzed chicken feathers. Well, then there's people like me who are online and on social media and, you know, publishing and saying, hey, do you know that you're paying $90 a bag for chicken feathers? Because that's what your dog's eating. And then it's got a bunch of chemicals thrown in for all the vitamins and minerals that they need. So, you know, the, the company got a bad rap because people were like, I am not feeding my dog chicken feathers and I'm not paying you $90 a bag for that. So they came in and they said, well, we would like to have that definition. Instead of saying hydrolyzed chicken feathers, we would like it to say hydrolyzed poultry protein isolate because the oh. consumer will never figure out what that is. Oh, my gosh. And those are the games they play. And so I just want people to know what the games are and be on the same playing field and understand what the playing field is. Whoa, Dr. Morgan, I am one of those people who fed my dog that diet <laughs> when, <laughs> exactly. when my veterinarian recommended it because he was losing weight. And she said, oh, put him on this $90 bag of food. And, and we did, and he gained weight, and he's fine. And we took him off of it. But I, I just went on this leap of faith and total trust that my vet was recommending something that was good for him. I wonder if she even knew that she was recommending chicken feathers. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times they don't. That's part of it. And really the nutrition training that the veterinarians get in school is like, I remember, well, I went to school a million years ago, so it's changed a little bit since then. But, um, you know, when I was in school and we were in our medicine class and they're like, okay, well, if an animal has kidney kidney disease, you're going to feed them. At that time, we only had Hills, so it was KD. And if they have heart disease, you're going to feed them HD. And, you know, if they're geriatric, you feed them GD. And if they have dermatologic disease, then you feed them DD. And that was our nutrition training. Like, here, just pick the alphabet soup. You know, and now there's all the other companies have their own alphabet soup. And that's the nutrition training that the veterinarians get. Now, considering that those pet food companies pay a lot of money to those veterinary schools and sponsor all the veterinary meetings, you know, do we see any collusion or possibly (laughs) that, you know, this isn't perhaps like the right way to teach nutrition. And so veterinarians are not taught how to balance a diet or how to even come close. So they don't feel comfortable with it. So the only thing they feel comfortable with is, yes, buy something that's complete and balanced. But that whole every meal has to be complete and balanced for your pets. Every single meal is such a fallacy. And it's a fallacy that was made up by, guess who? Oh, yeah, the pet food companies. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, like just imagine there's a picture in the new book. So we actually took a cereal box and we had it, um, we had a new cover made for this box and it's human kibble. And it, you know, it says 100% complete and balanced. Just picture the book. It's great. So it's 100% complete and balanced. And then it has the ingredients on the back and it has all these chemical synthetic additives, which we actually took right off of a bag of pet food. And we put that on there and it says 100% complete and balanced. Feed this every single meal and you'll be healthy. Now we would never consider taking that box of cereal and dumping it in our kids' bowls every single meal with no milk or anything and just say, here you go, complete and balanced. This is all you need. Uh-huh. But yet that's what we're telling our clients, you know, or that's what veterinarians are telling their clients. Here, this is all your dog needs. Just throw these, you know, these dry triscuits sprayed with fat into his bowl and meet that twice a day and he'll be great. No, he won't. <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> so, um, You know, and we don't balance every single meal we eat. 
So why, why do our pets have to have every, and, and yes, there is a place for, we need to get balance in there. You know, you can't do a home cooked diet and never give them extra calcium. That'll be a problem. Um, you know, there are things we need to get in there. And so that's the kind of stuff we need to educate pet owners. Um, but veterinarians don't understand how to do that. And so it scares them and they don't like being challenged. You know, I, I really, I, I saw that, that illustration in the, uh, the image in the book and, and I just cracked up because I thought it's so <laughs> true. You know, I, I don't strive for a balanced and complete meal every time I eat. I just, a little of this, like you said, a little of this, a little of that throughout the week yeah. and, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And yeah. why we aren't doing that more for our pets is uh, because, I don't know, we're, we're not taught that. Because that. we're told, right, we're told not to. I mean, you know, yeah. you walk in, you tell your veterinarian, you know, that you feed stuff from the table or you feed people food. First of all, it's just food. It's not people food or, you know, it's just food. Um, right. It sustains our bodies and gives us good health. And, you know, but people are afraid. Like, they come in my office and say, what are you feeding? And, you know, they'll name some kibble or whatever. And then mm-hmm. I'll go, well, do you feed them anything from the table? And they're afraid to tell me, you know, because they've been <laughs> beaten down for so long. Like, oh, God forbid you would feed them anything from the table, particularly if they're overweight at all, because it's always blamed on the table food. It's never blamed on the high-carbohydrate kibble that's going mm-hmm. into the bowl that's being fed free choice. Oh, that can't possibly be the problem. <laughs> you know, it must be the table scraps. Oh, yeah, that celery that you're feeding them must be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always cracked up that, that uh, choice of words, too, people food. Um, that's people just food. so weird. Yeah, it's just food. I mean, I, I throw yeah. my dog a banana, not a whole banana, but, you know, little bits of banana every morning when I'm making my smoothie. It's just food. He loves it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's so good for him. What a great source of potassium and fiber, and it's a phlegm drainer, and, you know, what a wonderful thing. Yay. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about, about why you chose Chinese medicine theory to um, further your, your goals on, on educating all of us about nutrition. Um, to me, it's, it's very mysterious, but, but you help take a lot of the, the mystery out of it in the book. But um, can you explain to our listeners about how this theory can help our dogs and, and cats? We're also talking about cats here, too. Uh, yeah. So, the, yeah. Yeah. So, Looking at food from the Chinese medicine theory standpoint, it applies across the board. So it applies to people, to horses, to dogs, to cats. I mean, you pick a species and the Chinese medicine theory applies. So what is really, really cool is, you know, for thousands of years, the Chinese have, you know, looked at different foods and herbs and plants and kind of really, you know, they delved into what effects it all has on our body. And so when I first started learning, so at first I learned acupuncture, then I started studying herbals, and then I discovered there was this whole, there's actually four branches of Chinese medicine, which is acupuncture, herbs, food therapy, and then something called Twina, which is sort of a, a spinal manipulation massage combo. But mm-hmm. um, when I got to the food part, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. And I was talking about it on my um, Facebook Live this morning. Like Everybody has something that they're passionate about or that they like really specialize or that really speaks to them. So like somebody will say to me, you know, like I was just, you said bananas and I'm like, oh, they're phlegm drainers. And, you know, most people, what the heck does that mean? Well, <laughs> our body makes phlegm. So if you think about it, 
you know, particularly this time of year, and I think you're in Texas, so you don't maybe have the cold weather that we get up here, but, you know, everybody's got the sniffles and the sneezes and the colds and the congestion. And Mm -hmm. so we're all making phlegm. We're all making snot. We're coughing it up. We're sneezing it out. (laughs) Our pets do it too. I'm sorry. Can I use those words on on radio? Um, Of course. And, you know, so it's like, well, what, you know, I could take a bunch of drugs. I could take a bunch of decongestants. I could do all these different things. But what if I could, what if I could eat something that would make that go away? So we can actually eat foods that will help drain phlegm. So pears and clams and radishes, there's all these different things that we can eat. So it's like, well, if you don't like seafood and you don't want to eat clams, then fine, go eat some pears. It helps all that stuff drain. It helps it go away. Hmm. So one of my dogs has had some chronic sinus congestion. And so when it starts to come out, I'm like, oh, here you go, dude. We're having pears for, you know, I'm just throwing pears in your food for the next couple of days. And it just goes away. I don't need to use antibiotics and I don't need to, you know, use drugs and decongestants. So we, there's a lot of different things that food does, but it can resolve stagnation. So stagnation are areas of pain where energy has gotten stuck and it might be tumors, lumps, bumps, nodules. Phlegm is basically mucus or snot, um, but it's also like fatty tumors. Those are areas of stagnation and phlegm. Mm. So we can actually add things to the diet to help dissolve them and make them disappear. Um, we also have what we call chi tonics. So chi is energy. And so particularly old dogs that are getting weak and they're getting weaker in the back end. Well, we just look on our list of foods that are chi tonics and we go, okay, well, I need a whole bunch of those in his diet. Like I need to up his energy level. Okay. That's great. Let's, you know, here, pick from, you know, list A and list B. Um, and so we can do that with, with meats, with, um, vegetables, with fruits, you know, every food has different properties. And for me, like if somebody asks me, you know, uh, you know, they can hand me something like they can hand me a mango. Well, what are the properties of this? And it's very weird, but I'm very intuitive with food. And so you like, if you just say, what what are the properties of mango? I can taste it in my mouth. I can see what it's doing in the body. And I just know. Um, and I was talking about essential oils this morning and Melissa Shelton, I don't know if you've ever talked to her, but I think she's the veteran, the leading veterinary expert or on essential oils. Yeah, and she's the same I've way with essential oil. Yeah. So it's, uh, she's the oily vet is her website. But yeah. um, she's the same way with essential oils. Like she just touches them or smells them. And she's like, oh, I know exactly what this one's going to do. I know how it's going to affect the body. I know what I'm going to use it for. I know what I'm going to mix it with. So everybody has a passion for something. And like they just, you know, it's, it, we all, it's like those kids that, uh, you know, they're three years old and they play the violin or the piano, like it's just there for them. And so, you know, this, this is my thing. I don't know why, mm-hmm. I, you know, it came to me fairly late in life, but I'm like, Hey, this is pretty cool. So that's why. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. I love, I love your energy about this. This is exciting. I, I had no idea you were doing um, long distance consults too. So if we had members mm-hmm. across the country who wanted to work with you, they can do that. Yeah. And I actually, I'm uh, doing Skype for overseas. I did one with Australia. That was really, so the first time I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, electronics and technology. And I have to figure this (laughs) out, but you know, I've got it now. So, so yeah, we can do whatever. It's really fun. Um, Oh, cool. Because, you know, people don't, 
don't, a lot of people don't have access to this sort of information. So, you know, I can't diagnose things long distance. So, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that, that I will do is I will ask for veterinary records and, you know, there's a big long form that people have to fill out about their pet because I can't see their tongue. Although if we Skype, I can, um, I can't feel their pulses. So, um, but to give nutrition advice based on the records that I'm looking at and the blood work that we're getting and, you know, whatever I'm supplied with, we absolutely can, you know, tweak diets and, and look at things to help solve whatever problems are going on. That, that is really good to know because, you know, we, we do share a lot of information about home cooking for pets in our community. And that's because most of our members are dealing with some type of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that's the first thing they want to do to help their, their dog or cat. You know, they want to work with their diet and improve it and help them right. feel better if, if they're going through chemo or if they're not going through chemo. Right. And, you know, our, our disclaimer is, well, you know, let your vet know that you want to, to do this kind of thing. But at the same time, they're, they're going to turn in their vet and their vet's going to say, no, don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> and it's this terrible circle of, of things that happen. So, you know, they, they, I know that when it happened to me, I wanted to change my dog's diet and I had no support out there. So it's really great to know that, that there's people like you doing this. Um, yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of good Facebook pages. Um, there's, you know, YouTube videos. There's, there's, you know, with the advent of social media, it's so easy to find tons of information. Unfortunately, you can also find tons of bad information. Uh-huh. And so, like I said, you know, the, while, while I am not a proponent that every single meal has to be complete and balanced, I definitely want people to understand that feeding home-cooked chicken and rice and throwing a few peas in there, that is not balanced and that is not what you should feed your dog every meal. I mean, picking something like that, like saying, oh, I feed my dog chicken and rice and broccoli every meal for a year, Mm -hmm. that is no better than feeding the same deficient dry dog food every meal for a year. Like you, you have to have some variety. You would not eat the same thing every meal for a year. Your pets can't either. And that's how Mm -hmm. we achieve balance over time is that we're mixing it up and we're adding in different things and we need to make it. So there's a few things that are really critical. So the calcium level is extremely critical because our pets do have a higher requirement than we do and meat which is what they really, you know, species appropriate. They should be eating a meat-based diet. I know there are some veterinarians, holistic veterinarians who are pushing vegetarian diets, but I'm just not a proponent of that for our pets, particularly for cats. I think it's just a really bad way to go. Um, mm-hmm. But if they're eating, you know, the species appropriate meat-based diet, it's going to be too low in calcium and too high in phosphorus. And the body always has to be in balance. And so one of the things that the body will do is it will start pulling calcium out of the bones to keep it in uh relationship to the phosphorus in the bloodstream. And so we get osteoporosis. Mm. So that, you know, there's just little things and vitamin D is another really critical one. Um, but if you, it's found in egg yolks and fish. So, you know, I have my clients, you know, it's like, okay, well, you're either going to use some sardines or you're going to use, you know, a sardine or an egg every day. Like it's not mm-hmm. that hard. Just pick something with a vitamin D source and get it in there every day. They'll do fine. And so the same with the calcium. If you're doing raw feeding, then the ground bone is generally where everybody gets their calcium and minerals from, and that's great. But a lot of people are, are cooking, and a lot of pets with cancer, particularly if they're getting chemo, uh, a lot of the oncologists are really against the raw feeding. Me personally, my yeah. cancer patients, we're doing raw feeding. Um, yeah. I'm a, 
Yeah, I'm a big fan. All my dogs are mostly raw fed. Um, they do get home cooked meals. Like today, it is pouring rain, miserable, sleeting, cold. And I'm like, you know, a nice home cooked stew might feel really good for everybody tonight. Um, so, so I will rotate around with my guys. And it's just like, uh, you know, and a lot of times we'll make something for the family that it's like, oh, look, we're making beef and barley stew. Okay, well, the dogs are just going to eat what we're having, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is great. They'll love it. So why not share? <laughs> so wonderful everybody eats eats the same food it's like it's just one big happy family with the, with yeah and i mean really the dog the dog cookbook that we just put out the yin and yang nutrition you know you there's nothing that says you couldn't eat every one of those recipes that's in there um, I they saw do that. Have, I, I they have organ this, meat in them, and so if you don't yeah. eat liver, you might want to leave that out for you. But really, we all should be eating some of that stuff too. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean the pictures are gorgeous, and you have all these wonderful vegetables in there. And and I'm a vegetarian, and I'm like, wow, that's other than the meat, that's exactly how I eat. I'm, I'm there. Like, you go. I love it. Yeah. yeah, that's my grand my grandmother's china. So I'm like, I wonder if my grandmother is rolling over in her grave going, oh, my gosh, you used my china to put dog food on. But it was all food from Whole Foods, and it was real food. So I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure this is okay. <laughs> I think grandma would be proud. <laughs> and and um, so you mentioned uh, raw feeding and, and dog food cancer. Um, can you just uh, throw out a couple of your best tips for, for cooking or, or preparing raw food for um, dogs and cats with cancer? Oh, so, you know, I think it's pretty um, across the board knowledge at this point that carbs break down to sugars and sugars feed cancers. Um, Cancers don't do very well growing on proteins. Um, There are, there's, there's two schools of thought on whether cancers grow on fats. And it's interesting because I've gone to, I've read some books where they say, oh, cancers can't grow on fats at all. And and that the keto diet really kind of uses that side because it's a very, very high fat diet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, their belief is that the cancers can't grow on fats. But the interesting thing is they're getting about a 42% cure rate. And so, if it were true that cancers couldn't grow in fats at all, they'd have a hundred percent cure rate. So that you know, there is no like one size fits all that's going to cure mm-hmm. everything. Because I've also been to other lectures where they've said, well, research is showing that while cancers do not do well growing on proteins, they definitely do well growing on carbs. But there are some slow-growing cancers that seem to actually utilize fats. Um, So I think there's still more research that needs to be done on that. We don't have the full answer. But my pets, I don't use any starchy carbs, so I don't use grains at all for my kids. And in my book, I give the option for grains because some Mm -hmm. people like to use them and their pets do well with them. I don't recommend them for my cancer patients unless we're really having problems with weight loss, but then I do try to up the fat calories. Um, so I don't use any starches really for, so my kids don't get any legumes or peas or peanuts or potatoes. Um, I tend to use like the leafy greens and I'll use a lot of squashes. So I do like to color the rainbow. And so when you look, like looking at the pictures in the book, you know, there's always something bright orange, which for me is usually pumpkin or butternut squash, um, Uh or carrots maybe, because those are natural sugars that are fine for the cancer patients. And then I've always got some dark leafy greens. So whether that's kale or spinach or collards, um, we have to choose that a little bit carefully if we have 
uh, breeds who are prone to oxalate stones. And so there's a list in there of the foods to avoid if you have a pet who's prone to oxalates. Um, and uh, I use I do use organ meat. And so like treats like, if you have a dog with heart disease, you want to get heart in that diet. If they're having some liver problems, you want some liver in there. If they have kidney problems, we need to feed kidney. Um, huh. So all that kind of stuff is in there as well. Um, so for my cancer patients, we really design, like I have a, um, I call it my cancer fighting veggie grind uh, recipe that's in the book. It makes a ton mm-hmm. because I think I use like a whole head of cabbage and two things of broccoli and a whole head of cauliflower. And it was so funny because I bought all the ingredients and I threw them in my cabinet and I started running to the grinder. I'm like, holy cow, this is, <laughs> this is going to fill my whole freezer. Um, but, you know, we have people just put it in ice cube trays. I mean, you can certainly cut the recipe down, but put it in ice cube trays or put it in small containers and just solve them out and just add a spoonful to the meals. Um, and they're all things like the cruciferous vegetables. We know they have cancer-fighting properties, so broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and asparagus and, you know, all these wonderful cancer fighters and mushrooms. Oh, my gosh, I use so many mushrooms in my diet um, because they're just so good for these animals. So, um, you know, I, I try to make it easy for people. It's like, okay, just make up a big batch of this and then just, you know, whether you put it in ice cube trays and just thaw it out and throw it in the meal or, you know, whether you put it, like we've started buying these, uh, they look like Chinese takeout little soup containers. Um, uh-huh. They're cardboard and they, they each one holds a pound and they're wonderful. We put little labels on them and we grind up all our food and throw it in the freezer in those and just thaw them out as we need them and so, um, like I have a client who sent me a thing the other day and she has two Scotties and she said, we make all of our own food and we do it four times a year. So they make enough for, you know, with two dogs for three months at a time, fill the freezer. And she said, I wow. think I can give my dogs, you know, two hours, four times a year to make their food. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel mm-hmm. good about that. So it doesn't have to be something, you know, where you're going crazy every day, like, oh, my gosh, I have to make something for the dog. No, make it up ahead of time, throw it in the freezer, thaw it out as you need it. Make, I mean, we're doing that for, we go through 210 pounds of food a month for our dogs. Wow. They have three freezers. <laughs> so, and the cats have their own cabinet. <laughs> and they have, they have stuff in the freezer, too, actually. <laughs> um. But, you know, it's just, it, it, to me, it's a, first of all, I enjoy it. And to me, mm-hmm. it's a commitment for, I mean, we have two dogs that are two years out from their cancer diagnosis and they didn't have chemo. Aww. They didn't have radiation. One had squamous cell carcinoma, so he had a toe amputated and then it was on his skin a little further up. Um, uh-huh. And so I removed the mask on the leg and remove the toe. And then we've just done herbs and diet and he's phenomenal. We're two years now. Um, and then I had another wow. one with a uh, high grade mammary carcinoma. Took it off two years ago this month, actually. Um, oh and gosh. then about six months and all we did was food and herbs. Um, and about six months ago, we went through a stressful travel time. We took her on a long trip with us and it was stressful. And then, um, then after we got home, Hugh and I left for a week and a half and the dogs were stressed, you know, even though they love the pet sitter, it's not like having mom and dad here. And we got home and she had blown up a lymph node and I went, Oh my gosh, the last few weeks of stress was way too much because stress will definitely accelerate medical issues. And, um, so I was like, holy cow, I know what this is. So we immediately went in, took out the lymph node. It was high-grade mammary carcinoma. And I was like, oh, man, we're just we're, we're doomed here. Um, and I said, no, I'm just going to step up my game. I'm going to add some more herbs, and I'm going to, like, tweak her diet. And so that was last August. 
and um, doing great, doing great. So um, I have one wow. dog with, that had high-grade mammary carcinoma. We took it off, never did anything other than herbs and diet, and she that was when she was 11, and she's 16 and a half. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's pretty cool so stuff. Three, three, of your, three of your dogs have had cancers. They all just managed to, to thrive long-term mm-hmm. even after being diagnosed. So, you know, one time is kind of like a fluke, but three times, I, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've got, three, sure. of, of the eight dogs in the house, the youngest is 10. Three uh-huh. of them are 16 and a half. Uh, we've got a 14 and a half, a 13, oh a 12, an 11, a 10. So, um, you know, we've got the senior home here. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I think you, you are onto something, and we can all benefit from reading your new book and your other books and, and working with you if we need to, to to make this transition because it's so important. You know, I was thinking that if we put as much thought into home-prepared meals as we put into trying to read the ingredients on a bag of commercial pet food. I mean, it's, it's a wash, you know. I spend so much yeah. time trying to figure out what, what kibble is best, but if I just use that energy and, and just cook yeah. more often and, my dog. And it just doesn't, like I said, you know, you can make it in batches, and it doesn't have to be that expensive. So I have clients that are on budgets, and they're like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to Costco, and I'm buying that humongous frozen bag of chicken breasts that are, mm-hmm. you know, 69 cents a pound, because that's what I can afford this week, and that's what I'm going to use to do this. And we have a lot of people who have joined co-ops to, you know, or they find hunters. I mean, if you have somebody who's a hunter yeah. friend and they can get you venison and they're willing to give you, I mean, those guys don't use the organ meat. Hey, I'll take it on, you know, butchers, right. they, trimmings and scraps. You can get really creative with how to do this on a budget. Um, so people can do it. Um, oops, now we're going to hear from the peanut gallery. Um, <laughs> um so, you know, we want to try to make it as simple as possible. And what I would say to people, you know, if you're switching from a kibble to a home cooked or switching from a kibble to a raw, um, with my own animals, I'm just, you know, like if I bring in a new rescue, the kibble doesn't come into my house. So they may come in eating kibble and that's what they had for breakfast. And for dinner, they're going to get either home cooked or raw because that's what I have in my home. And I don't allow kibble past my front door or my back nice. door. So... I'm one of those people, I just do the quick transition. It's like, all right, here we go, kids, rock and roll. Um, And it's worked really well for me. But I get a lot of people whose pets are, um, their guts are not in good shape. They're not in a good place. Um, And so you will get some blowout diarrhea. Part of that is detoxing. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the dogs, if they've been eating kibble their whole life, they will not recognize, and cats in particular, they will not recognize raw food as food. The texture is weird Mm -hmm. to them. They don't want to put it, they're like, what? I mean, some of them I actually have to pick it up and make a meatball and shove it in their mouth and let them get a taste of it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of good. Um, so, but, you know, if you want to start slow, the thing to do is if you have a kibble-fed dog or cat and you want to, you know, start doing cooking for them, my recommendation is to make a recipe that doesn't have any, like, really outlandish, weird ingredients, something that's fairly bland. Start using it as a topper. Mix it in slowly mm. and gradually work your way over and start introducing some new things. Um, I do find that 
organ meat, the liver in particular, if we get that too high in the diet with pets that are not used to it, we can, um, you know, definitely cause some soft stools. I recommend having them on a good probiotic during the transition. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite probiotics, um, natural source of probiotics and digestive enzymes is raw fermented goat milk or um, a oh, raw wow. kefir if you can get it because that's a natural source of probiotics and enzymes and it really helps with that transition. The gut loves that. And hmm. so that can really help just, you know, throw an ounce of that on top of whatever you're trying to do um, with your mixture. And a lot of times that'll help. But if you can't, and it really needs to be raw, not pasteurized. Um, if you can't get that, there are a couple, there's a lot of, actually quite a few pet, company, pet food companies that are making uh, the fermented raw goat milk now. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can't do that, then just get a really high quality probiotic. Um, and I would say don't get any that are made by the big pet food companies because they have not, and I don't, I'm not going to be bad enough to mention names, but they don't have good ingredients in them, the ones that are made by the big pet food companies with the big names. Um, uh-huh. So I, could, I can throw out a couple that I like to use. There's a human um, probiotic called DSL-3. I actually buy mine on Amazon for me. That's a really good one. Um, I use RX Vitamins, RX Biotic a lot, which is a powder. Once It's fine to ship the way it is, but then once you open it, you refrigerate it. Uh, ProViable is another one. I think they're made by Nutramax. That's a, a, a high-quality one. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the smaller pet food companies have them. But um, So you want to use one that's a, a pretty good quality. You know, So I would start that while the pet's still on the kibble, get them on a good probiotic. If your kibble says that it has probiotics in it, just ignore that because they're useless in the kibble and canned products. They're they're just they're dead by the time you get to I've them. I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've it's heard useless. that. You know, it's a marketing ploy, but it, they're uh-huh. they're useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured, how could they survive that high heat processing? Yeah, and even if they're sprayed on afterwards, by the time you open that bag and they're stored in high heat and warehouses and blah blah blah, yeah, it, it, they're dead. They're dead. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Dr. Morgan, thank you for explaining so much and and really just taking the fear out of making this leap. I mean, you know, Chinese medicine seems like it's mysterious and and, and woo, a little woo-woo, but you know what? There are some really good things coming out of it, and what you're doing for animals and for all of us is priceless. I can't thank you enough for this. No, well, thank you. I, I, you know, I, like I said, it's my passion and that's why I'm on radio shows and I'm on social media and um, I just want people to be able to learn. And so there's a ton of information on my website, the drjudymorgan.com. My Facebook page is Judy Morgan DVM. I do a f- educational Facebook live every single morning. It's 8 a.m. Eastern, uh, Monday through Friday and 9 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday. I let people sleep in. Um, <laughs> but they're, you know, anywhere from five to 20 minutes, depending on what we're talking about. And people, you know, ask questions and they're interactive and those are really, really fun. Well, that's great to know. And we can't thank you enough for your time, Dr. Morgan. Listeners can learn more about your books and the great work you're doing at drjudymorgan.com. And for more information about healthy pet nutrition for tripods, visit nutrition.tripods.com. time on Tripod Talk Radio. Learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com.
for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.